0: Hello, Polytopians! Thanks for tuning in the Polytopian Times. I'm your host, Sam, and today I'm joined by East Park. Uh Thanks, as always, for joining us.
1: Hi, Sam! So good to be here!
0: Always good to have you. Oh, wait!
1: Here. I should yeah. say it's so nice to be
0: <laughs> here. I think I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Hello folks, uh, and to make sure everybody's not in the dark, uh, today we're going to be talking about the Polaris, the uh, the ice tribe, so uh, well, without any further ado, let's jump into it. The cold wind gusts across a sheet of glimmering ice whipping across your face underneath the hood of your parka. The sun hangs low in the sky, framed by two jutting sheets of glacial ice bursting through the snowy permafrost on the island ahead of you. Between the icy cliffs lays a snow-laden forest made up of cryophorous trees, spiky, light blue fir trees that look almost like they're made of ice. In front of the glaciers in the forest is an expanse of barren snow leading up to the frozen shore, dotting the barren area by the shore, glittering pink star-shaped nuki crystals, magical gems that are said to radiate energy capable of healing wounds, but, that'll are, but that are also rumored to power the spread of the player's ice sheets. You're traveling off-road for this particular excursion, on the back of a baryon you bartered for given their hardy nature, acclimation to the cold, and claws for gripping on the ice. It's not for protection against the wildlife, you as they are, but instead speed and rudimentary protection against the hostile and seemingly alien polytopians that inhabit this barren, icy wasteland, and the other worldly ghouls that have infiltrated and now control them. You've been traveling light on the back of your barian for a week now, keeping away from the villages whenever possible, and only skirting by settlements after nightfall if absolutely necessary. The risk here is greater than ever before, and but as always, the potential reward is very worthwhile. Those very same crystals that dot the beach before you. The tribe that lives here, the Polaris, are hostile to all outside, which has kept all attempts at contact from the Horn Trading Company at bay. The Inuki crystals have a quite a potentially high price in the hot region of the square for food preservation. Wind's containment facilities can be designed for the crystals. The real hitch is getting a steady supply of them, and being able to tap into the knowledge the inhabitants of this icy waste have into the things would be incredibly useful. Although in the current state of affairs, near impossible. But it turns out that not all the players agree with what has been happening to their land and people. Apparently, there are a breakaway groups seeking independence from the alien beasts they call Gami, attempting to flee and hide in the wastes in small nomadic communities. Unfortunately, the vast majority of these are hunted down by these very same Gami and slain to a polytopian, cross magic, and other more direct means. You happen to have the fortune of running into one of the extremely rare lucky few who managed to escape in a massive sled construct they called an Ice Fortress on the edge of the barter lands in the ice, bargaining for food before they had once more to flee. You took the initiative and cut them a very good deal on food stores. They are extremely grateful and thus open to your proposition to set up a more routine supply of edible foodstuff, in a manner that worked better with their now necessary nomadic lifestyle than risking visits at a town. An aerial delivery with Faichi could send them food in exchange for Nuki crystals and insight into the secrets behind them so you can use them for your intended purpose, which is why you're now sneaking into the Pelaer's lands to make a rendezvous with these outcasts on the icy shore. They need a pheromone array to use to guide the fight to you their ever-changing location. You didn't have one for them when you proposed this plan, and the prospect of getting Anuki crystals was well worth the risk of this foray. But you know you absolutely cannot be caught in this venture, so you take things slowly and cautiously. The movement in between the distant cryophorous trees catches your eye, Looking closer, a bulky brown shape slips between the branches before stepping out in the clear. Before you is a massive Mamu, a giant brown furred mammoth with huge curling tusks. On the back of the intimidating beast, you spy a polytopian clad in a tan colored parka, the hood pulled up over their head and trimmed with a burst of white fur. It's a Polaris rider scouting the Taigan patrol. You're well hidden in the trees, and it doesn't take long for them to decide that the shoreline is empty. Before turning around, tried back through the frosty woods. By this point, the setting sun has gone all the way down below the horizon of the square, and you wait a few minutes before sneaking past where they were down the beach, moving past that up the hill. Below you, you spot the settlement sitting on a large flat plain of snow. The polaris of cities are made out of the ice and snow that surrounds them, clusters of large igloo-like snow domes rising up from the plains, with several of the topmost domes peaked by giant ice spikes. You can see the light of fires spilling out of doors and windows, and see the Mamoo Rider being greeted by parka-clad Polaris with chilled Priaphorus tree sap and mamu tusk drinking horns, chilled to just above freezing by tiny fragments of Nuki crystal and ready for the parched scalp. You find yourself taken aback for a second, off-put by the explosion of life against the otherwise lifeless, perpetually frozen taiga. The origin of the Polaris is as mysterious an affair as the crystals are. Legends tell of a group of barter nobles exiled to the barren far north when a plot to seize power was exposed. For many turns, the exiles stayed tucked away in their icy prison, barely sustaining themselves, but little the tundra had to offer, until they met the fearsome gami, giant alien deer-skull-headed creatures shrouded in black robes with antlers made of ice, glowing red eyes, and said to exude a quite literally bone-chilling aura. When they met the exiles, the legend the outcasts you met told goes that the Gami blessed them with their leadership and power to dominate the square and dubbed them the Polaris, but in turn began to demand ever evermore their allegiance, and eventually their souls. Now nearly all the Polaris worship their unnatural saviors, dancing, singing, and making sacrifices to their dark lord's world, garbed in ritualistic shirts, and those that rebel are hunted down. The place where the Polaris and the Gami first met was turned into the ice bank, the gigantic tower of ice, to show the Polaris what the Gami are capable of. Out of it flows a stream of treasures, a reminder of how much the Polaris owed their supernatural masters. The Polaris and the Gami worked tirelessly to turn the square into a frosty waste, whenever possible spreading the ice far beyond the natural barriers of the warmer climes. You've already seen the little blue moonies skate across the ice, freezing open waters by focusing moonbeams while humming away to themselves, and their reputation for hostility is well-deserved. They're just as likely to spread their chilly lands by virtue of their battle sleds, ice fortresses, and mighty mamus, freezing and trampling underfoot all who oppose them as the menacing gami loom ever present. As the survivors of these raids often say, the Polaris are coming, and with them comes merciless winter. For now, you head off down the hill and to the sheltered forest beside the shore, steaming down until you reach your rendezvous with your rebellious new friends. After that, you'll be headed back down the same arduous road you just traveled in watchful stealth. And that, folks, is a brief touch on some lore. So let's talk about some of the more concrete stuff about the players, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wait, I'm going to throw in lots of puns if I can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's the perfect try for good fun, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, fun lore. One of the weird lore about it is how the Gami are like extraterrestrial beings.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're not of this world. <laughs>
1: but they're very cool.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, you, you better watch out with, uh, with those buttons. You're skating on thin <laughs> ice. <laughs> uh. So
1: how do we play this tribe?
0: Well... Ah, this tribe's unique, so much as the Gami are these overworldly alien things that sort of took over other Polytopians to make their own tribe, Thus, do the Polaris not have their own lands, and instead they take over the land of other tribes. So, if it's a one-on-one, and it's any other tribe versus Polaris, well, the spawn rates of everything are going to match the type of tribe that they're playing against so if it's Zabasi, it'll all be Zabasi lands or kiku would all be kiku lands if it's um polaris versus polaris then the base land is going to be Imperius. so uh gonna be a little fruit heavy in that particular case or well a new crystal heavy um and that's just one of the few changes we've got here obviously yeah. That's
1: something that's really unique about this tribe is they do not have their own resources. They just use whatever terrain the other tribes are around them.
0: Yeah, and you know, and it's kind of a nice evening factor in some ways. You know, a lot of people like to say um, spawn rates for some of the turn zero tribes like barter. Kind of give them an edge, well, uh, when Polaris plays in a 1v1 against Barter, technically they have the same spawn race, they just don't start with hunting,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Um, and, and next up, we have uh, some changes to their starting tech. Uh, they start with Frostwork, which uh replaces sailing, and uh, that enables the creation of Moonies and uh outposts on the ice, which will give you one pop in exchange for uh five stars i do believe and don't
1: you, uh don't you start with a moony
0: yes you do and yeah. uh that's important cuz it lets you freeze any water near you which allows you to move across the ice
1: yeah and, um, i think starting with the moony you know it's fun like some of the other tribes <laughs> that start with a unique unit but the moony is really weak but it's good for exploring
0: yeah it gives you a unique way to sort of get across the water before really any other tribe has a chance to, but again, with the unit that's not gonna be able to fight once it gets there. It's it's that's, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely true. Even a single warrior can be kind of a a perfect stalemate where you either are stuck perpetually freezing until something else shows up to attack you or uh, even that it, it it they're just they're not that great in combat unless they're supported. They're they're only good for spreading the ice and maybe Making a few cheeky frontline freezes if you can manage to pull it off. Um, but yeah, next up uh, beyond frostwork, we've got polar warfare, and that's going to replace navigation. That grants players access to battle sleds and ice fortresses, two extremely powerful late-game units for the try to pull out, and all mid-game too, especially with battle sleds. And um, really, I, I don't think that battle sleds can be um, overvalued by uh players players they're very very versatile and most importantly they're very fast and they have the ability to escape like a rider Um, nothing's going to be faster on the ice than uh than a proper battle sled beyond that uh the last tech change is polarism and that's going to replace aquatism and that grants all units without the skate ability and extra movement when they're on the ice and that also happens to... Uh, oh, sorry. No, that's the, uh, the only perk you get for pullers. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, pretty good overall. Uh, moving past that, uh, there's obviously a couple of changes. Uh, we mentioned the outpost, which replaces ports and happens to also create trade routes across the ice, like a port would. Um, so that can be nice if it connects to a city. Uh, it does need to be adjacent to the city or be connected by a road, though, if you're going to get that connection going. And it uh, costs five stars and provides the one population just for being built. Uh, obviously, if you connect it into a city, you'll get the extra star for that, too. Um, beyond that, we also have the Ice Bank, which replaces the Customs House. And that was also recently buffed, so uh, it generates more stars than it did before. And uh, it serves as a really nice way to uh, try and rival Customs Houses that other tribes have. Uh, it takes less input into setting them up. Um, to get a similar number of stars per turn for customs house you have to build a lot of ports and obviously customs as themselves ten stars per custom house or sorry per port uh five stars per customs house that's fifteen stars just to get any setup going. I believe it's only twenty stars and uh, you're able to generate three stars for every twenty ice tiles on the map and that's just gonna scale up as you grow. If there's other Polaris players, then that scales up as well. So it's uh certainly nothing to overlook there. And then there's some special units in the mix. Uh, so obviously we start with the Mooney, which is a fun special unit that costs five stars, has ten health points, zero attack, two defense, and one movement. But it does have the freeze ability that, uh, freezes the surrounding tiles, including any, any enemy units, which means that those units aren't able to move. Um... Also has the escape ability, so it gets double the movement on ice tiles, but on land, its movement is basically permanently limited to uh one tile, and all other abilities are disabled, including roads <laughs> and then of course, we have the ice archer next up, which is probably the cheapest way you're going to be able to freeze stuff and your only ranged freezing option but uh a eh, very overpowered one uh. A call out to past hosts, I know this was Hawthorne's absolute favorite unit, and for good reason, although it's um, not an offensive unit in terms of dealing damage. More so in its capability to prevent uh, any sort of action at all from an opponent. So it costs 3 stars, they have 10 health points, uh, 0.1 attack, 1 defense, 1 movement, and 2 range. And uh, dash and freeze, of course. So this unit freezes enemy units when attacking, so they can't move or respond to attacks. It does also have fortify, so it has that defense bonus in cities, although it's still really not going to do any damage to attackers, but um, it'll take less damage if it's attacked. But uh, really, really good cheap unit for freezing enemy units at a range, especially like super units, etc., if you want to keep them from reaching the field and uh, just put them somewhere where you can deal damage without having to worry about any sort of retaliation. uh, Ice archers can be a great way to make sure that happens. And uh, let's say you need to be more aggressive with your freezing, and moonies and ice archers just aren't going to cut it. Uh, You need the mass freeze ability of a moonie, but uh, you kind of need that dash speed to the freezing that an ice archer would have. Well, we have the gami, which replaces the giant. Uh, So you'll get that for leveling up cities. They have 30 health points, 4 attack and 4 defense, and the one movement. Uh, with, uh, Rhodes bonus, they can move the two tiles, or Polarism as well, it can be real nice. Uh, and, obviously, they have some nice abilities, uh, so that's the Freeze area, combined with Auto Freeze. So, this unit freezes any surrounding tiles and all the units around it whenever it moves, and it does the whole area. So, uh, you can basically... Swoop right on up to the front lines and freeze a whole cluster of enemy units. Uh, create a new bridge for your battle sleds to strike on. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of versatility here, and I think you'll find that um, your offensive powers are going to be in the mid and late game tied to what your gami are able to carve out for you uh, in many ways. Uh, beyond that, we have some non freezing units, and uh, the first of those is the battle sled. And that's a a very strong unit, and it costs 5 stars, has 15 health points, 3 attack, 2 defense, 2 movement, and of course the dash, skate, and escape abilities. So it's going to be able to move super fast on the ice, get in and out, and uh, just deal a whole bunch of damage with that 3 attack, and the 15 health points are very nice too. So really, not a unit to sleep on. (laughs) Beyond that, we have the Ice Fortress, and they cost 15 stars... Have 20 health points, 4 attack, 3 defense, 1 movement, and 2 range, and have these skate and scout abilities, just like a battleship. And in fact, these are your battleship replacements. Uh, They're cheaper, they don't have quite as much beefiness as some battleships will have, and um, they also don't have the dash abilities. They can't move and attack, like a battleship would be able to. So, you're going to want to keep that all in account, but um, they certainly have their role to play, especially when it comes to swaying attrition into your favor. And uh, making sure that an enemy is not able to break the ice on you. So, that's a broad and brief overlook at all the uh, the big changes and differences between this tribe and our other standard tribes. Um, And a a lot to dump out, so... Before we hop into strategy, let's just take a a brief moment to, now look at what perks and drawbacks we can think about with this tribe. Um, Obviously, off the bat, the ability to freeze stuff is amazing. And I think that's just really something you can't overlook. Um, And the ability to create a bridge with ice at your own will and to break it whenever you need to is pretty useful as well. And something that the Simanti don't have, at least not as readily till they get recycling. Um you know, the ability to control the contact with the ice that way is is very nice. Something uh something I think that you can overlook as well. Um so yeah, yeah, a lot to keep in mind. Especially when you're uh, when you're freezing stuff, you gotta you yeah, keep in mind the um the value proposition. You can you can really get a good trade-off here in terms of attrition. You now for uh for a three-star ice archer. Or even a five-star Mooney, you can go and tie up a twenty-three-star a giant or uh, battleship. Sorry, uh, battleship or giant, and uh, you know it's really make more of an impact in terms of uh, the the attrition nature of the fight, and that's that's a very important aspect of how the the war can be fought. And I mean, obviously, the ice makes a, a a fast but fairly inexpensive way to scale up the economy, right? But I mean, and on a on the counterpoint. Players has a pretty weak early game. I mean, they start out just like any other tribe, but um, without any techs that are really going to help them grow economically. And it takes a while for them to scale up and actually be able to use all the things that actually make them special. Otherwise, they play as a just slightly worse version of a standard tribe uh, until they get that going. And I mean, while it is true that the ice can increase their movement, it uh, doesn't give them any defense bonuses. So when it does come to a slog with someone who has a naval force and uh, they get stuck in, if that foe happens to get aquatism, then, well, the person with the navy is going to have the advantage in all combat with naval forces moving forward because they'll have a defense bonus, especially on, like, uh, battleships. Uh, and that can really make uh, Ice Fortresses uh, a lot less viable when it comes to trying to push back. But, uh, you know, those are all sort of uniquenesses to this tribe. And it, nothing's a hard and fast rule. You know, it's all um, situational, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, like anything in Polytopia, it depends.
0: Yes, yes. yes. And, uh, well, that's. I, I feel like I've done a lot of prattling on uh East Park. I'm happy to let you take a stab at strategy. I don't think we have anybody uh, more capable for it.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs>
1: um, the thing is, there's so many different ways to play this. I know some people like to rush sleds or I don't. I don't really like sleds. I try to go <laughs> for the ice bank. I also ah, really yes. like ice archers because... There's something really powerful about denying your opponent the ability to make new units. If you can freeze, you know, a warrior in a city, then they can't make more units in that city. So that's mm-hmm. my approach, but I know a lot of people go straight to sleds. I don't I'm not a big fan of sleds, but I know some people like that.
0: Uh, oh, some people are definitely uh, due to rush towards it, but I uh, i won't lie, I'm with you. It's Ice Bank all the way. Gotta get that eco rolling, rolling, rolling. And then Ice Archers are amazing. And being able to basically turn off a city is uh, insanely overpowered. And a lot of people, you know, thought that Polaris got a big nerf once the outpost got knocked down a peg. And don't get me wrong, that was a big difference for him, But uh, they can still just turn rival player cities off at the cost of three stars and that's an indefinite turn off from a range too i mean they make an ice sheet on a coastal city and break the layer of ice so you can't physically reach that ice archer and then just keep the unit in that city perpetually frozen for five or six turns you can really sway the uh the amount of forces that are present on the battlefield that give yourself a permanent advantage that way right
1: yeah yeah i mean a lot of people just like this tribe because it is different and it's just fun to play. Just um again there's no other tribe where you can deny your opponent movement. It's I mean yeah, it's just a different way of thinking and the gammies again the way they move and freeze, it's it's very different than other uh super units.
0: 100%. I got to agree there. I mean it's a lot of stuff makes this tribe really unique, uh, you know, including their, their special units. Um, I guess it's with this one. You know, we we've got different takes in East Park. I'm going to open the floor for you to interject here, but um, and a little bit of uh, legacy and honor to one of our past hosts. I'll uh, I'll bring in some of Hawthorne's previous insights. Oh
1: yeah. yeah, Hawthorne was a. Uh was the Polaris aficionado. He was so I mean, I like playing Polaris, but he, yeah, he's like the king.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was he was next level for it. And I mean, next to the ice bank getting better. The tribe really hasn't fundamentally changed much since these were put down, so. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Starting off by you're going to want if you're lucky, you're near the coast, so you can use the ice and that's good. Um Otherwise, you're going to want to move your Mooney towards water, if possible, or just towards the center of a city. And you're going to work on freezing your way towards uh, a new expansion point. Uh, you really do want to see if you can't leverage um, some existing ice or get some ice to leverage for some uh, some boosted movement, as that can be pretty useful early on if uh, you can just stay on the ice for a, a moment or two before you uh, actually find that first village. Although, not necessary at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... Just keep moving towards the center and uh, building up ice, looking for villages, and working your way towards the ice bank. Because that's going to be the first way for you to really vamp up your economy and then afford to get all those fancy special units. And uh, out of all those special units, you should be moving for first, And all honesty, besides the Mooney. Gotta agree, the Ice Archer is going to really make a big difference for you. Even just freezing up a front line of, like, um, Warriors, you're probably not going to get a chance at a rider once roads are in play, but uh, you know, warriors are you know, the one rider they decide to send forward instead of back to try and clear some clouds, so if you can freeze that up into a line, they can't kill through their own units, they can't move them, it is eating up a population, and it gives you time to slowly but surely chip away and get your units in position behind the line of their frozen units. A, a little once-alive wall, so to speak. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, in general, beyond that, Uh, the Rider Rush in general is going to be good, as it is for any tribe. Um, that's going to help you a lot in the early game when it comes to staying alive, although, uh, it's not anything standout compared to any other tribe. It really is just the same as the Rider meta in general. And, I mean, keep in mind, there's a lot of rumors that that's going to be changing soon enough. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't lean on it too heavy. Uh, For some general advice here, uh, you're going to want to try and do the surprises on the naval map. You don't want to freeze your way towards the enemy when they're weak or when they're unprepared and they don't know you're coming. And um, if possible, try and leverage uh, the ability to sort of control where they first make contact with you, where the flashpoint of contact and conflict is. If you can force them into uh, a false front in the north, then you can go very hard in the south and make a breakthrough that they won't be ready or prepared to counter. And that can be uh, pretty nice, too. Uh, it's it's definitely that sort of flexibility you want to keep in mind. Um, you know, Extra bonus points if you can freak them out enough to uh, force them to do a retreat uh, from the faux front in the north to try and counter in the south, because then you can turn that faux front into a real front and then just start taking territory there as well. I mean, That's true of any tribe, but also good advice here for Polaris. I mean, they really are a naval-heavy tribe, so you're gonna need to learn how to counter an enemy's navy in asymmetric warfare. Neither one of you are gonna be able to move on to the other one's territory. Ice fortresses and battle sleds can't go step onto water, and, well, their ships are not gonna want to step onto the ice, because that would be a severe waste of stars and uh, would take away their range capabilities. So. Uh, You just want to keep in mind it's going to be a fight that's limited in scope and kind of slow, just based on the nature of creating and breaking ice in general. Now, um, it's not terrible. You're going to want to try and force the enemy into contact with your ice fortresses and then use the natural barrier of the ice to cycle back any surviving forces so you can then Run in and slam them hard with some battle sleds once you have that up and running. The escape ability is nice. They're extremely fast on the ice and versatile, so you can use those to sort of hit various units. Like uh, You might find an enemy trying to break your ice and sending out a horde of warrior boats. Just sit on the edge of the ice so one of them can survive one turn and actually be able to break an array of ice that isn't occupied fully. Well, uh, if you can kill the boats with a series of battle sleds, you'll be fine. Um, say you're going to combat against ships or battleships and stakes they can afford to throw that up to break the ice, and, you know, your battle sleds are taking damage now in the fight. Well, all you need is, like, a bender waiting at a central point for all your battle sleds to return to and be healed every turn after they do their strike. Um, but I would not overlook the power of the battle sleds, even in a defensive purpose. Um, and overall, you're going to want to use a combination of your forces to just sort of hold the line in the ice and make sure you're enemy doesn't have a chance to break it because it can be difficult to get ice back up especially once your gamis start dying if they start dying there's not a lot of units that in the middle of combat can actually push forward the line of ice it's and you get pushed back down to moonies moonies are easy enough to snipe and you'll find yourself trying to counter spam them out the way an enemy would push out warriors and that's not getting you into an actual fight it's long story short um the success of an assault can really hinge upon your ability to leverage, you know, a, a big unit like a that can push the ice forward and uh, maintain the ice that's created, uh, not let it get pushed back. That can uh, that can spell your doom. You know, yeah,
1: gonna... in, I'll be honest with you: in all the Polaris games I've played, I would say ninety-nine percent of the time we don't use ice fortresses. The strategy I see more often is rushing those Gammies, getting an ice bank, and then going for knights. Because once you have knights and you have the movement bonus from the... Um, it's not aquatism. It's whatever the ice thing feature is. I forgot. Polarism.
0: Polarism. Yeah.
1: polarism. Knights, so and polarism. knights and polarism. You don't even bother with Ice Fortresses. Again, in all the competitive games i played, that's usually the meta that I see.
0: Yeah, definitely the end game. And, uh, I mean, might as well hop down to some tribe-specific strategies because we've been talking about them up there. And last on the line is, of course, Knights Plus Polarism. Because who isn't going to be doing better than our, uh, our knight boys once you can spam them out? With uh, ice that acts as a road, it is indeed a very versatile and strong combo, although not their only ice-related combo, obviously past that. They have the ability to freeze cities, which is super nice. Gotta love those high ring freezes. And then, of course, you can suck a bunch of attention into an area and then control where the fight's going to happen by just breaking the ice at will and creating a bridge that you control. Then there's the Shredder Sledders, where you can send in clusters of sleds with Mindbenders or without to zip in and do Defense Retaliation, which is good. The Knights and the Polarism, last but not least, I think the one special thing we didn't touch on was the Mindbenders and the Freezing, too. Because obviously, Knights and Polarism is a big thing, and these, this is not a meta-defining strat, but this is my favorite cheese with them. Which is using Gami's, or Moonie's, or Ice Archers, really anything to... Freeze especially big targets like giants or centipedes or doomucks, just big, heavy, expensive things, and then keeping them frozen as a mind bender slowly walks towards them turn after turn, knowing there's no escape, knowing inevitably they will be losing their unit to your mind bender, and then knowing that mind is going to keep walking forward and the ice archer with them, and that this is going to happen again in but a few turns. It's more of a psychological play. But, uh, just so satisfying to pull off. Although, I, you're quite correct. Nice plus Polarism is pretty much the meta in general with, uh, Polaris, especially in, uh, the mid and late game. Well, uh, I mean, and those are some tribe specific strategies that are fun and all, but, uh, you know, let's talk about some counters. And uh, again, they've got some stuff you can do, but, um oh. Before we even dig in, what is the Polychamp's recommended way to counter a player's player? Yeah,
1: so breaking the ice is not what most competitive players do. You just use the ice against them. So if a Polaris player has a lot of ice, you get your own riders, you get your own knights, and you just ride across that ice and you hit them so the main thing is you know you got to watch out for the freeze so you don't want to line up your units so that they can be targeted by the ice archers and the gammies. um you know getting catapults is really smart because then you can hit those gammies before they get close um but that's usually how i do it is i i don't break the ice i use it against them
0: a solid option indeed Uh, uh, Definitely not something to ignore. You can always just run across the bridge and uh, strike at your opponent that way. And uh, if you have to, you could try breaking the ice. Again, not necessary. Not going to necessarily get you anywhere. Um, At the end of the day, the ice banks do get freeze tiles from frozen land tiles, so you can't permanently deny them income that way. Although, I guess if you were very methodical and you're able to do it en masse, you could reduce ice bank income it's a lot of effort, but probably not worth it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it takes a whole turn to break the ice, which you could be doing other things with your units with that turn.
0: Quite, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely not uh, not worth the, uh, the time spent in general. Now, uh, something you are going to want to do, however, when you're fighting them, probably targeting all their freezing units, like you're saying, avoid the freeze, and then probably kill their freezing units. I know personally, I do target the Gamis like, as a priority, but I don't know if that's anything necessarily unique to this tribe. I think a lot of people tend to target Giants or Centipedes or Dragons whenever viable and available, right?
1: Right, exactly. Doesn't matter what the super unit is, you try to target that, if you can, from a safe distance.
0: Yes. But, uh, you know, keep that in mind here. Gamis are going to be what you want to get there, and then I guess as far as freeze units, then you'll go after the ice archers because they can strike from a range, and that's very dangerous. Moonies are slow and kind of easy to avoid. They're about as dangerous as a mind bender in terms of offensive freezing, so third in the list. They still can, but yeah. There you go. Um, Beyond that, you're going to want to you know keep an eye out for uh, you know when you're getting hit with big stuff, like ice fortresses, etc. Sometimes you're better off attacking them than being attacked by them. You know, for example, the ice fortresses—they have a higher attack than a defense without the defense bonus, especially on the ice. So you know, sometimes you do want to go on the offense against them. Um, beyond that, uh, just hit them early on, right? Hit them before they get a chance to be a special tribe, and then they don't get the chance to be this strong late-game tribe. Yeah. 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 Really, uh, really nothing fancier than Ford Settle in some ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I know I, I'd use this tribe, and it's to freeze and all, but, uh, I mean, in a non means sense, why why would people in polychamps and other competitive scenes use this tribe, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, usually people choose them, um, if the stronger, like, T-Zero tribes are banned, um, they're really good in Archipelago, um because you have you know all that water um they synergize really well with tribes like yadak and aquarian um or kiku again if you're using like a water map um right. but yeah they're really fun they're they're so they're different they're fun freezing is just like it just a different approach and yeah, some people really love the lore, but as a tribe, it's it's pretty solid. I mean, it's not the strongest, obviously. Like things like Barter and Kiku and Imperius are stronger, but this is one of the better tribes. Again, not the best, um, but pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, at the very least, um, solidly asymmetric in combat. But, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, all good reasons to use it. And folks, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Because, um, to be honest, looking at all the stuff Hawthorne had written down here, we'd be here for another hour if we were to give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, as always, for uh, for joining us today, Spark. I, uh, I know we always... Appreciate your expert opinion. Um, you could
1: say uh, we only got to the tip of the iceberg with this
0: tribe. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we barely even broke the ice, really.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, uh, wrapping up the episode here, um, any plugs on your end?
1: Um, no, I can't think of anything new going on.
0: Quiet, 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 quite. well... I think uh, I think we're quite on this end I know uh, following up this episode is the last of our revamp of the tribe episode and um, well there's been some internal discussion and keep an eye out but um, we might be doing a collaboration a compendium of all of the tribe lores into uh, maybe a different format maybe a nice little ebook or something and uh, we can see about development about that so maybe just a little teaser there and Whoa, then that uh, sounds fun. I think that might be uh, might be nice for everybody and then um beyond that obviously not necessarily a plug but there's that teaser of the upcoming ancients we don't know when that's coming but uh a new tribe the 17th tribe that's a good number for all these tribes in there and um last but not least uh something on our own server gotta give a call out to Santoku and all the wonderful amazing folks over at the um the training program Uh, if you're feeling like you could tune up your skills or if you feel like you could help some other folks get good at the game hop on over and uh, join on into our training program we are always looking for more folks to join in and uh otherwise well uh, thanks as always for joining us again and uh until next time see ya